There was no there Airfly was magazine nothing. on your plane? <laughs> no. But, yeah, I was on a plane the other day where it didn't even have a screen. It had a little stand for your <laughs> own device. You see? Digitalization. That's what it is. This is Localization Today, a podcast from Multilingual Media. So let me do the introduction. Yes, I'll shut up. <laughs> this week, we're going to review the news for Multilingual.com with Anne-Marie Colliander-Lind. We've known each other for many, many years. Uh, Anne-Marie, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I try not to be take it personally that I wasn't the first guest. <laughs> You've taken a moment and reviewed the news on multilingual.com from the last week. We saw multiple articles this week about indigenous languages. What did you think? Well, I think it's a great initiative from New Mexico. The minimum annual salary for a person holding a Native American language and culture certificate shall be equal to the minimum annual salary for a level two licensed teacher. And that's amazing because it, it's so important for anyone in a society to have access to information in their own language, no matter how small or rare those languages are, and also to keep them alive. So I think that's a, that's a wonderful step. Yeah. What do you think it would take for this kind of legislation to be implemented in more places? Wow, good question. Um, I think it's wonderful that, you know, it's it's in the eyes of media right now that, that we're talking about it. And the more we talk about it, I hopefully we'll see more positive effects from it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I myself live in a country in Sweden where we have at least five minority uh, languages as official uh, national minority languages, whereof Sami languages are one of the five, which is all Do the you same. know the other four? It's uh, Finnish, Mienkeli, Romani, and Yiddish. Oh, and also, okay. actually, Swedish Sign Language is also considered to be a uh, national language or minority language. So it has the same status, which means that uh, a lot of you know the, the general information to the public needs to be provided in all of these languages. And the Sami yeah. languages are classified as indigenous languages. And there are so many different dialects. I, I could talk a lot about that, but <laughs> that's not the mm -hmm. thing. Uh, but we all face the challenges with that because... On one hand, it should be the right for anyone to have access to the information in the language of choice. But yeah. on the other hand, for our industry and for big language services providers winning big governmental contracts, they also have to make sure that they have capacity in those languages, which could be right. quite, quite a challenge for many of these providers. How many Sami speakers are there? Oh, now you put me on the spot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Google it. Wait. Sami languages are a group of Uralic languages spoken by the Sami people in Northern Europe. There are, depending on the nature and term of division, 10 or more Sami languages. Huh. And, Native uh, speakers, 30,000. Well, not too many, but, but many more than for some other uh, languages for sure. And yeah. uh, it's specifically then in, in my part of the world where you see it, it's Norway, Sweden, Finland, and the, the far west northern part of Russia. That's where right. these languages are spoken. And I know there are 10 or more different Sami languages. Interesting. 
It says here, uh, according to the traditional view, Sami is within the Uralic family most closely related to the Finnic languages. However, this view has recently been doubted by some scholars who argue that the traditional view of a common Finno-Sami proto-language is not as strongly supported as has been earlier assumed. My mother and sister now live in Sweden as well. All I really know about uh, Sami is their jewelry, which I really like, and I have a, a bracelet, and I know one proverb. I know one Sami proverb, and it is, if you wonder where you should be, look at your feet. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's really beautiful. Well, I, I, I did uh, look up a few details also, because it was the Sami National Day on Sunday, on February 6th. And uh, what I also find amazing, and I mean, this is true for other languages as well, like Greenlandic, that they have so many different nouns for, or words for snow. It was something like 300 different versions of, of the word snow. And as a so snow this lover, is really true? Because yeah. I've heard people say that that's, that's bogus. <laughs> well, um, I haven't done the research and, and you know, uh, so I wouldn't say it's scientifically proved to be that way. But uh, yeah, it's known to have a lot of different words mm -hmm. to describe snow, depending on texture, temperature, uh, yeah, heavy snow, light snow, whatever, what have you. I saw a quote that said from, from powder to slush, 300 different ways of saying snow in the standard <laughs> language. So I think oh, I, I like that. As, as a winter person myself and loving, you know, everything that has to do with snow and outdoor activities, I find that fascinating. I yeah. think in Swedish, if I could come up with 15 different versions of snow, mm -hmm. I would probably exaggerate. So when I came to live in the United States from the Netherlands, I would look at waterways and different style waterways and be looking for the word. And in the Netherlands, where I grew up, there were so many waterways everywhere and they all had different mm -hmm. functions and they all had different sizes and the banks were steeper or less steep and the waterway was wider or not. It was streaming or not, you know, so there were so many different words. And I would ask, hey, what's the word for this kind of waterway? And they would go, it's a ditch. And I'd say, what about this one? It's a ditch. You know, what about this one? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a channel. That's a canal. That's a it's river. man-made. That's a stream. And that's about it. But the rest is ditch. And in Dutch, there was, uh, there's so many different words. There's sloot, gracht, and all these different words for different kinds of waterways. Mm. Did did we actually get that question answered? How do you think, what do you think needs to be done to get the kind of recognition that the teachers see in in New Mexico around the world or in other parts of the world? I think legislations is one part. It sounds boring, but I do think that this is something that needs, you know, a, a higher level of authority from governments yeah. to port initiatives and to, you know, put some pressure on giving access to knowledge in other languages, but also anything else. And I, I think also through culture, because with all the dreaming, streaming services that we have access to today, we see more and more content being created in other languages than the usual suspects. It just takes increased awareness. Yeah. And you're saying through pop culture is probably the, way, the best way to increase awareness, especially with the younger generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Just look at the success from, I mean, how many young people today want to study Korean because of uh, Squid Game, K-pop. Yeah. It is now the fourth most popular 
foreign language to learn in the United States is Korean. It's- and honestly, I was listening to the language and I, I really enjoy it. And I feel mm-hmm. like phonetically, it's not that much of a stretch. Maybe that's why as well. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to uh, visit South Korea four years ago. And uh, I was amazed that we quite quickly could recognize uh, words. Fun. Fun. Well, uh, I want to wrap up the discussion about indigenous languages by uh, (laughs) sharing a little. No, no worries. Uh, This is how things go. (laughs) By adding a, a note of awareness. And this comes from one of our articles this week. Sadly, every two weeks, every two weeks, a language dies with its last speaker. It is predicted that between 50% and 90% of endangered languages will disappear by the next century. That's depressing. That's depressing. Yeah. Wow. I didn't read that part of of the (laughs) Weekly Digest. (sighs) Okay. Let's try and find some fun news. I remember a couple of years ago... They said, we're going to make the Babel fish from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I thought, that's really exciting. And as soon as I learned a little more about MT, I realized it's not that much of a stretch because there already is automated translation. There already is machine translation. There already is transcription. So if you put those together and you hear someone speak, transcribe it into a language, and then that gets machine translated into another language and that gets turned into automated speech, you really already have all of the elements to create something like that. But I guess the challenge was to create uh, a piece of wearable tech that is uh, comfortable and stylish and does it really fast without a lot of hiccups. But this is done completely without the involvement of, of human translators, human interpreters. So it's completely different from, say, the thing that Kudo does with live interpreting of real actual interpreters that are on standby for video calls on their platform. And that is done immediately and that is done fast, but you have to have the human resources available. So which of the two is going to go into the future? Don't you think that this is a typical fit for purpose problem or or challenge? I mean, I can totally see that non-human impacted solution is good enough if you are a tourist, if you are traveling, Mm. if you need to get access uh, somewhere where you, like in Korea, you you totally don't get it. I'm going into the grocery store in Korea and I need to talk to someone about the price of eggs and I can't just like open up a video conference tool and have a, a Korean line an interpreter. interpreter yeah or you need yeah. oh you're going to a small itzakaya in Tokyo and you need to try and, and explain that you are allergic to aubergine which you know or eggplant uh, mm-hmm. which I had to do once but um, I think so there are so many situations where that would be totally good enough but I don't see that happening if you have negotiations between Putin and whoever is meeting next in in this crazy situation that we are uh, security-wise in the world, or if you have in the European Parliament, or if you have if you are in a healthcare situation in a hospital, and you know the doctor need to tell the patient that you know this is critical, we need to do this, or you need to go into surgery, or are you taking any medications? Are you allergic? How did this happen? I I wouldn't really want to trust 
a solution where humans are not involved in that case. Yeah. When you start adding emotions, other dimensions of having a conversation, the sensitivity mm-hmm. of a healthcare situation where, you know, maybe you have to tell the relative, you know, the, the, the people yeah. that this person is going to die. Yeah. How do you do that through uh, yeah. nah? Do you think that we'll ever reach a time that when AI can be as good as human translation? I do think that everything that is um, automatically translated into another language creates an opportunity for manual translation. If I if I just put a random text, a generic text into mm-hmm. Google Translate, and you know it comes out almost flawless. Yes, yeah. anything that matters. Definitely, we will have machine translation support for most of the content being translated in the future or localized in the future. I do think so. Will it be mm-hmm. 100% replaced? No, because you will still have to have uh, language leads. You need to have quality assurance. But I do think strongly that we need to start educating other types of talents into the language industry because we don't need the same amount of traditional translators in the future, but we will have other linguistic assets, you know, with subject matter expertise, uh, things like that, who can go in. Yeah. And, and the- Because, of course, the fear is, well, all these poor people will lose their jobs. And um, I don't see that happening because this industry, the language industry is scaling at an amazing speed, at an amazing rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world is evolving and we need to keep up with the pace and, and try to adjust and make the best out of it. And I also think the demand is created from the fact that we have access to information that is created somewhere else in the world through the streaming services, through the web. So I think this will just continue, continue, continue. Yeah. And, and therefore, uh, we will see the need will always be there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of streaming services, I want to finish up the conversation today with news from The Economist that suggests that the English language's dominance in pop culture, and more specifically music, may be on the way out. So less and less people are listening to English-only music on their streaming platforms, and it's being replaced by other languages. Uh, A lot of Spanish So what I wanted to ask you is what Swedish language music should we all check out? If we're going to go on Spotify next and we're trying to listen to something (laughs) not English. Oh, my God. That's such a great question. I mean, uh, I I know that a lot of people are familiar with uh, with the... uh, uh, ABBA? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's still yeah. English language. It doesn't count. Yeah, but who sings in Swedish? Wow. Well, uh, Sarah Larsson. I think that's a name that, that uh, a lot of people recognize. Uh, she's doing both in English, which is the one that people probably know, but people should also check out uh, her Swedish uh, songs. But people claim that you cannot uh, make good pop music in Swedish. Is it a, a linguistic thing or cultural? Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a well. That's that's at least uh, according to to the expert. It's it's different, difficult to rhyme in Swedish. It's uh, you huh. know we, we have 
uh, fewer adjectives or or, or less uh, expressions for all these heartful love uh, mm. things that we have pretty plain language. Uh, but I don't agree because I do think that if you really have an emotional song on whatever emotion, you can only express so much in a foreign language. Uh, yeah. When you speak your mother tongue or sing your mother tongue, it's you you get that extra layer of yeah. authenticity. Uh, you know, when you put your heart into it, it's like. Well, I'm thinking as a as a listener and listening mm. every now and again to some some Dutch language music, it touches me so much deeper yeah. because I have the associations with the the language from way way early on when I was a little kid. Whereas mm-hmm. association with English and emotions expressed in English that only developed in my early teens. Yeah, and I I I also think that you can hear hear that even if you don't speak the language. After we hang up here, I'm going to immediately check out Sarah Larson. Zara, Sarah with the with the Z. So. I'm writing it down. And I want to thank you again for being here. Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm, I feel honored to be your second guest. At least <laughs> I came in second. <laughs> so thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And I'll say, hey, do. Hey, do. Tak så mycket. Tak så mycket. Thank you for listening to Localization Today. To subscribe to Multilingual Magazine, go to multilingual.com slash subscribe.